Okay, so what we wanted to cover today is really, you know, QBRs. And uh, this has been one of our most favorite growth hacks. And this actually goes back to uh, the two of us working in Falcon and uh, and creating some of those QBRs together. And um, so so kind of to start this out, why, why even have QBRs in the first place? And, uh, you know, off the top, hey, this is a good way to take stock, to look back, to have a sit down, to discuss, uh, to bring the people to the table, obviously to kind of to drive some accountability, but also to drive strong conversations around, you know, data and the performance that has happened until then, right? And uh, what's the point? The point is really to create uh, a forum to generate continuous improvements, right? And the, the um, realization is that Obviously, those continuous improvements, they're small and there's sometimes you ask yourself, okay, why are we doing this? This seems to be fairly uh, negligible, kind of not, not important or not, not big enough. But the funny thing is um, they do compound over time. Um, and this is where you could say some of the exponential growth actually might then actually uh, ending up coming from, right? So exponentiality in this case is you uh, not only scale and add more people, and more resources, but uh, you also uh, work with them in a you know improved, efficient way. And that efficiency gain that usually is found in those QBRs and those conversations and those cross-functional debates that you might be having. Um, however, you know while this is fantastic and our you know most most favorite growth hack, there are a bunch of challenges actually around it to kind of get this done. And this is basically today to talk about how can you unlock this superpower. Uh, and make sure that, uh, wow, that was like perfect on timing, Bart. Um, but how do you unlock this superpower and how do you, um, you know, how do you build a good QBR and how do you run a good QBR? I think in the very end, we have some do's and don'ts. We also have a funny twist in the story in the very end, actually. So let's see about that. Uh, but generally speaking, that's kind of the setup for today. Um, and I have Olafu here because um, you've been running the customer slash client side of the house for the last year and a half. Um, and uh, basically, you were the you were the actual guy having those what is it two hundred MBRs QBRs something like that, um, and and you know tons of learnings to share from that, which which kind of is is the idea today, right? So I'll I'll ask some I'll ask some questions um, to to Olafu and then you know, I, if you don't know us and probably you don't, but there will maybe be a chance of a good banter here developing over time. So let's see about this, yeah. Okay, let's go into this. Um, so, uh, I want to do a QBR because uh, some people told me on LinkedIn I should really be doing it. Uh, so, where do I even start, right? Kind of, how do I even get going on this thing? Wow. Well, yeah, okay. I know. I realized <laughs> that. Yeah, well, I think before we jump into the uh, practicalities of building up a QBR structure and how do you run the sessions and everything else, I think um, what I prefer to do in the beginning is to <clears throat> decide on a reporting framework. And that just means that a QPR is simply part of a larger uh, reporting format that you have to develop as RevOps or as a commercial team. And the reason for that is because you need to run performance management meetings. You need to understand who is performing well, why are they performing well, what can we do about that? I need to test that with uh, you know, the different managers and you need to incorporate that into your business. You need to build up uh, forecasting frameworks and pipeline monitoring systems and, and stuff that I would call more on the uh, operational side. So this is where you typically will have it in dashboards and in formats that you know fit the day-to-day -day kind of nature of that. And as part of that, you need to also then develop a review format. And that can 
be in the form of a QPR, which we're talking about today, or a monthly business review, if you will. And that's where you uh, have more analyses and you're more identifying symptomatic issues that you might have in your business. Yep. And that is what I would typically phrase more as a strategic component of your reporting infrastructure. Yeah. So for example, right, so in, uh, in an MBR format, you would have things that are more performance leaning. So how many things did you do? How many leads? How many opportunities? Did you hit the monthly goal and all of that stuff? Um, and on the quarterly side, it's not like you completely forget about the volume pieces, but you it now makes more sense to also look at slower moving metrics like conversion rates, like ACVs, you know, th these kind of things in between, right? Um, and that then also uh, helps you to give a bit more of a holistic picture of what is going on. Yeah. Uh, because just looking at the volume thing, and we'll get to that in actually a minute when you do root cause analysis, might not actually give you the full picture to have a good conversation about it, right? And that then sets also up then the um, the more strategic nature of a QBR, I would say. Yeah, and I think just saying strategy and tactical and all yeah. that, it can sound fluffy, but I think at the end of the day, if you're in a QBR talking about that Joe Johnson in the UK was the one who didn't hit his target and that's why we failed, then you're not identifying things in your business that you can improve and change about resource allocation or you know move things around. Yeah, That is appropriate for a monthly and a weekly forum uh, exploration, but you're not talking people when you're in a QBR. That's basically the line in the No, story. that's true. I, so I, I had some calls with those, you know, plus 200 million kind of uh, AR companies. And they, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're special, let's just say it like that. Um, and maybe they're special because, maybe they got there because they're special or maybe it's something else wrong. Um, but they sometimes they do end up talking about people, actually. It's like, you know, it's John in, you know, North America reporting to Jackie and uh, he only at 50% bringing the whole team down. That's the guy. Jackie needs to take care of him now, right? So there's sometimes there can be those conversations. It's, um, let's just say, it's not our preferred way of actually doing it. You don't need the whole C-suite in to figure out who's a low performer, who needs to be let go. That's, oh, that's, how, right. I, that's how I think about it. So, okay, uh, now we figured out that, you know, it needs to be a quarterly, monthly, maybe a, a weekly rhythm or whatever, kind of how we kind of split it up. So who who should maybe be in a QBR? And uh, that probably depends also on what you're discussing there, but uh, maybe let's take those two pieces together. I think it depends largely on the size of the organization at the point in time which you're developing the, uh, the quarterly business reviews. Uh, for very small startups or scale-ups, you could say you could have you know, management layer there in the meeting. But typically when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking 10 million plus uh, euro, you know, ARR companies. And at that level, you're typically looking at the departmentally responsible, meaning VP and or C-level, depending on the yep. composition of the team. Uh, and you mean kind of the head of the department, right? If, yeah. if you choose to name the head of the department CMO, then it's a CMO sitting there. Exactly. If you choose to make that the head of marketing or the VP of marketing, then that's the person, right? Yeah. There. No, because that kind of goes into how you start building up the, uh, you know, the structure around it and the belief and the buy-in from that team. Because the biggest thing you need to do to establish a QBR is to get everyone to believe that this is an important part of running the business and that they are active participants and that they believe that the numbers being reviewed are of importance and that they are then going to take the findings that you came out of the QBR with, or the actions, if you will, and they're going to drive it into their parts of the organization. Um, and the so, way to get there is to build up a structure around saying, what are the key metrics across our entire uh, go-to-market that we're going to be measuring and monitoring for and putting into the quarterly business review format versus the other formats. And, and for those folks, right, just to kind of interject, right, that um, at the end of the day, 
uh, you want to be talking with them about revenue. Mm -hmm. You might be talking with them about costs in the form of customer acquisition costs, if it is a QBR on, on the commercial side. Uh, you might be talking about churn and upsell and kind of these different pieces, right? So that um, there's more to dig into and we're going to you know, cover this in a second. But generally speaking, right, you want to you wanna ideally start at the top and start like, hey, this is, uh, this is this is how it affects our business, basically, right? That's yeah. what they're being measured on, also, and this is also what the, you know, in some cases, the CEO and the CFO sit in those calls as well. Uh, that's what they're interested in, right? No, and I think at the end of the day, <clears throat> the important metrics are going to be, you know, ARR, NRR, and the typical stuff, but and even CAC. But the problem with those is that they are super non-actionable. They are yes, the scorecards at the end of the day. Did you do what you thought you were going to do? Did you do it as efficiently as you thought you were going to do them? but they don't help you arbitrate, you know, why did it go wrong or what should we do about it? So basically you need to kind of start breaking those top line metrics down and saying, well, what contributes to uh, ARR? Let's just go for that. Uh, probably our, uh, you know, closing ARR from the AE team and how, you know, how are they doing in terms of closing out their uh, capacity or kind of what percentage of their quarter they're closing out? But it's also opportunities being generated in the SDR and the inbound team, and it's MQLs coming uh, out of the marketing team and being converted into those opportunities, and it's leads that you know are those uh, MQLs at the end of the day, and that basically guides you to the how can you make uh, those inactionable, and how can you actually figure out the root cause of the problem, but also you can now reverse engineer those problems and give them a revenue number. Uh, which is how you can actually relay the importance or the seriousness of the problem back to the C-level or the VP layer. Because I've sat in meetings where we are debating uh, outbound conversion rate going down from 15 to 12, and somebody says, well, it's 3%, <laughs> you know, what's the difference? And you go, well, we're going to be running 2,000 opportunities through those uh, percentages now. So if I told you we are going to close, you know, 200 less opportunities that have an ACV of 20K, now we can actually have a debate about why this is an important number. Yeah. Um, so I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, actually, kind of, kind of going through some of those different steps. So basically, there's something wrong on the revenue side. So cool. And now what? Right. So well, you need to start digging into this, right? And what you then need to dig into it. What I sometimes see on on sales calls or kind of with you know customers before they convert to us, basically, is like, well, it's all about the AEs and the AEs didn't hit and the forecast and the pipeline. And sometimes the conversation stops there, right? And uh, that that is kind of one of the big key differences here. It's like, hey, you need to dig in way deeper, right? And um, and digging in, in this case, and you mentioned some of that stuff already, kind of you're in one revenue, that's one thing. What's leading up to that? Well, it's, you know, on the funnel steps, there's opportunities, there's SQLs, there's MQLs. It also might be processing metrics, like conversion rates, ACV, sales cycles, all of that, all of that stuff. Yeah, and then on top of that, um, depending on how you how complex your revenue engine is and how how complex the setup is, uh, you want to potentially know well what about the German speaking region versus the UK versus France versus the US uh, versus APAC or whatever. You might want to know uh, what about a SMB business or a self serve business versus our mid market enterprise business, right? It could go into the segmentation of that. Um, it could be inbound, outbound partners, all of that different, all of these different things. Yeah. You really want to make sure that um, at least to some degree, and we covered this last time in the revenue modeling, uh, that you know some of that complexity is reflected in those QBRs to make it tangible, right? To make at the end of the day not just say, "Hey, opportunities were low," but you want to be if if this is how your organization looks like, you want to be able to say, 
opportunities in the German-speaking region on outbound were low for enterprise, right? And here's yeah. the guy and something needs to happen with the guy. Yeah, and at the end of the day, what we're talking about here are simply funnel metrics and then looking at the different uh, different funnels that you will have. You will have an enterprise funnel, you will have a Nordic funnel, you will have different segments in your business that will be governed by their own sort of laws of how you know many of those tend to convert, what are the ACVs and the velocities for those different things. But I think going away from the, let's just look at the bottom line here, and if the A is closed or didn't close enough deals for us to hit the target, that disregards the fact that creating revenue is a production line. It is actually a step-by-step -step process, and the last you know mile in that delivery is closing out the deal, but it is simply something that comes at the end of a very long process, and you ideally want to identify things that are happening that are going wrong way before it even gets to the, you know, are we having a closing problem? There can be a myriad of other problems that happen way early in the process, and if you don't think about it in terms of funnels, you're disregarding yeah. the fact that if you shut down marketing and outbound tomorrow, those AEs are not going to close anything because they are simply the one who yeah. received the opportunities to close them. So by the way, the, the microphone is blocking your wonderful face, Olofo. Maybe we kind of correct that. But the, the other thing, so kind of, I heard I heard one story from, from some guy uh, and he was like, hey, um, my director of AEs is telling me to fire five SDRs so he can hire two more AEs. It's like, okay, this is this is an example of someone who didn't didn't quite fully get it yet, right? No, but the logic that they then spit out is, really? well, you know, my AEs are closing 80% of uh, their quota. So if I had two more, they will close out 80% of whatever the quote on the street is. And did you create more opportunities? No, you didn't. Did you actually create less because you fired those SDRs? Yes, you did. And now you've basically just created an unintentional massive issue, which is that you don't have a balance between your demand, which is what the AEs are really, they're demanding opportunities. And then your supply is basically what is coming from all your different go-to-market channels that enable them to actually, you know, do what they're supposed to be doing. Okay. Um... I don't think you have solved your microphone issue, uh, but kind of moving on here a little bit. So the first thing is, you know, identifying the actual issues then, right? So there's uh, something wrong. Let's just say, you know, on, on the revenue isn't where it should be. Uh, the next step then could be, okay, what what is actually kind of causing that? In this case, it could be, you know, marketing opportunities are off, you know, last quarter. Could be just that, right? So, so you have now, you have now, you know, maybe this is where you arrive. But how do you even arrive at that point, right? How do you even know that uh, in that case, marketing opportunities is too low? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're already here and you're finding an issue. But actually, before you even get to that part, you know, you need to build up the infrastructure for your QPR format, which means that you have a structure around all the metrics that you're measuring across the funnel with all the different segments, and you need to produce that. You know, in our case, it used to be 180 paid stacks where you would then, you know, wade through all of those different slides, finding patterns, finding things that were off, and then, you know, excavating those seven to 10 slides to kind of say, this is what we're going to be focusing on. And this is where we identified an issue. And then as an analyst, this is really where you take the next step is to say, okay, we've found some issues. So we've kind of identified areas that are actually not performing as we thought for whatever reason. And now it's about saying, how do I take that finding and, you know, figure out where is that problem? Why can I, how can I reason what is the cause for that problem? Um, one, one second, kind of just to kind of interject there for a second, right? So number one, you can obviously say, hey, we have those targets and the actuals came in and you're below those targets, right? Mm -hmm. Opportunities should have been higher, leads should have, you know, whatever it is. 
Um, that requires you to have this revenue model set up and have targets for all of these different pieces, whether that is an organized fashion like a revenue model or if you just said 200 opportunities, right? So yeah. there, there must be something you compare it to. Not everyone has that actually, right? And I don't think that needs to be a barrier to entry to start doing a QBR. I think when we started this, we basically were doing chart analysis. We were looking at the graph and I was like, should it go up? Should it be straight? Why did it go down? Right, yeah. so we have kind of that kind of stuff going in there. And then I think the last piece is really, you know, people might have an intrinsic expectation of what should have actually happened. So if you hire a bunch of SDRs, regardless whether you completely calculate it out, the outbound opportunities should have gone up this month, right? So why did they not, right? And this is then how you then realize, okay, something is an issue right here. Um, and uh, let's just say now you have identified the issue. So what's the next step? Well, you know, what you would typically try to do is to try to balance the analysis around the two predominant factors that will actually lead to things going wrong, which is that you have a quantity problem or you have a quality problem. Those are typically the two major dynamics that you're looking at. So in this case, you basically have that your marketing opportunities are below the expectation. Was the expectation correct or not? We can leave that for now and just say that they were. And what you would then start to do is to say, well, okay, let's look at the preceding step. You're always going up one level to understand did the volume that was supplied into that metric actually fitting for where is the problem actually with the marketing opportunities or is it with the marketing MQLs or is it with the marketing leads? So you always go up the funnel kind of one step and then you say, well, was our MQLs on target? And if that was on target, then you know you had the right volume, the right input to be able to achieve what you should have expected to come out as marketing opportunities in this, uh, in this case. And if you did have the right volume on the MQLs, that now means that you had a qualitative problem in the quality of the uh, MQLs that you generated. Yeah. And that will be reflected in one number. That's the step in between those two volume metrics, which is the opportunities and the MQLs, and that is the conversion rate. And conversion rate here is simply just a you know proxy for these things that we created as MQLs, and we bucket a lot of different sources as MQLs. They can come from, you know, various different marketing channels. They can be of various different sort of warmness, if you will. But this is where you can now start to say, it's not probably because, it could be because we're now worse at handling the MQLs. So we have a problem in how we process those. That we, could be one thing. We, we, I mean, we have almost like a lunch game where we're like, okay, this metric is wrong. What could it be, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's, to a degree, right? Uh, uh, MQL conversion to op, that's 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 a that's a fun one. You can spend like two hours on coming up with new reasons why it's off. Yeah. Um obviously another processing step here would be the time delay between those two, right? If you if you see an increasing uh, lead time between MQL to opportunity, uh, it might be giving you some some things to guess at, right? And then, yeah. and then, you know, this this example that we're kind of, you know, playing around with is this typical it's the, it's literally this typical MQL example. Um, of, oh, MQL target was hit. Well, how did you hit it? Well, we uh, had a lot of white paper downloads and demo, uh, not so many demo requests. So we hit the MQL target on the nail. The CMO goes out partying. Everything is great. This is where fine, uh, sales and marketing start hating each other, by the way. That's exactly the, if you want to have a pinpoint in time, that's exactly the moment where it happens. Um, and obviously what happened is that they acquired more low quality leads. They don't convert it to opportunities. They probably created even more work for sales in that sense. Um, and this is now, now you have the root cause, right? The root cause is um, maybe the MQL definition was changed or the underlying mix of the MQLs 
coming to that stage has now tilted towards something that is of worse quality. Yeah, it's a composition problem, honestly, because at the end of the day, you will always have different types of MQLs, uh, whether they come from paid search or paid social or the most egregious one, which is the white paper one, they will have different conversion rate from MQL to opportunities. And if you just scale up some of the lowest converting ones, then your overall conversion from MQL to opportunity will simply go down on the aggregate. But this is where basically the segment data is the one that will tell you the truth of why is it happening. And that's really that sort of yeah. analyst mindset is to kind of always now borrow into the next level because now I need to be able to tell them it's probably not good because Sandy sat there and, and you know picked up the phone too late and, and you know called these people. It is usually because we attracted an audience towards MQLs that came from a lower quality source. And now we can actually start to say, well, that is a very clear problem. It's very well understood. And now you can also get away from this fight that often happens between marketing and sales, which is, well, I delivered my 2000 MQLs and you didn't close the revenue. It's not my fault, it's your fault. Yeah. And then sales, you know. So number back. one, uh, we're not hating against white papers. That's, you know, it's a thing you can do. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, if that happens, and sometimes we call that rebase lining, uh, you then just need to say, well, then I'm sorry, but then we need more MQLs. If this, is, if, this is, if this is in the new conversion rate that you're putting forward, I'm sorry, my friend CMO, we just will need more now. Thank you very much. Right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, root cause identified. Um, now what? <laughs> and now you have to, and this was what I alluded to earlier, which is you need to bring this into a language that the executive team that is in that meeting can actually understand so that they can also start to rank these problems, that you're going to be highlighting a lot of different problems in the in the QBRs, and you need to focus, I mean, you're not going to fix everything. So there needs to be some relation to what is the ultimate value here. And in this world, you would simply look at, well, this conversion rate uh, kind of decreasing has now led to us now generating less marketing opportunities than we had expected. So you know exactly how many opportunities were not created the, during the whole quarter, and you can actually forward project how much revenue is projected to have been lost by that. If you now take the average conversion rate of your inbound opportunities, you take the average ACV, you can now say without factoring in the element of time that we have at a future point in time actually lost revenue of X. By simply taking the amount of opportunities, their conversion rate of how many of those were projected to close with the ACV, now you can put up you know, a revenue number to yeah. it, which helps get everyone to understand the sever severity of it and that it's not just an arbitrary metric you're connecting it to something that everyone can align on. So mainly you almost have like three different buckets of, of screw up here. One is the revenue that has not happened yet, right? This was yeah. part of your um, analysis. Then there might be, uh, you know, revenue that has been lost already because you didn't produce those opportunities. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a weird, you know, uh, overlap between those two, but it's still there. So you need to expect that there will still be more uh, revenue lost in the next month or so, depending on your sales cycles. And, you know, then this is realized to a large degree, yeah. right? And then the other piece is, well, if that continues, if we either lag behind the target in the same proportion or if we keep flat on this thing, what is the additional revenue that is, you know, at risk on top of yeah. this, right? And and those two numbers together, they usually motivate people. And if, 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 they, if they don't, by the way, then this is not important. Then you shouldn't spend much time on this, right? And yeah. And I think this is kind of a good level set on, because this, you know, it's almost one of the uh, do's and don'ts and tricks here for QBR. You should usually only walk away with one main action, by the way. So there needs to be a bunch of prioritization going on. And, uh, you know, uh, saying specifically how much money was at risk or is at risk, 
or has been lost already is kind of a good good way to prioritize here. Yeah, but it's also just aligning the different mindsets because there are so many people who will attend these QPRs. They have heard that it's important. They know they're supposed to be in the room, but they might not actually care about it because it doesn't speak to <laughs> I mean, you know, their worldview. Right? No, I mean, I, I do remember, was it you or me? One of us had like a QBR with a customer and uh, we uh, we spent quite some time talking about this outbound problem that they had. Um, and then we went to the next slide and, you know, maybe there was us not well prepared. Maybe the, maybe I shouldn't kind of brought this up, but we went to the next slide, saw the marketing gap and was like, you know what? Forget everything I just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is actually on the marketing side, right? So, yeah. okay. Wonderful. Um, so now that we have that, what happens now, you know? Yeah. I mean, you found a problem. You have found a problem. You found the reason for that problem. So you've identified, you know, what went wrong. You've agreed that it's an important problem. You have level set. You put it into monetary terms, let's just say. And then there should be buy-in in the room that we need to fix this problem. And it doesn't mean that the person running the session or the, the analysis needs to have an understanding of everything because they are the one analyzing the data. They're not the one running the different teams and the responsibility to actually deliver the results. So this is where you need to ask the question, you know, what now? What are we going to do about it? And that can be something you decide in the room. It can also be that we decide that, hey, we're going to explore that further and actually do further analyses on these. Or it could be someone taking it off and says, I'm going to come up with a project plan and I'll present it in the next QBR. Yeah. The most important part is that every single insight is actionable. And it's not actionable if you don't understand what's wrong and why it's wrong. But deciding on what that action is can be something that happens outside of the QBR forum. And if you if you really kind of think about the QBR format, right? So the you know identifying the issue, identifying the root cause, identifying how much it's worth, all of that is actually pre-work to a large degree, right? That kind of yeah. that goes into this. Um, really, the okay, what are we going to do about it? You know, you as an analyst can come in and have some ideas and stuff, um, but that should be the conversation in the room, right? And that's the reason why these people are sitting in the room, right? That we're not having this meeting to communicate a send out. We're there to actually use these brains to come up with solutions and or for them to take ownership and take it away and come up with a strong solution proposal, right? It feels like Bart wants to say something. No. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so wonderful. This is the what now and now, you know, I teased it a little bit. Yeah. We have a twist for you uh, because it would be boring without a twist we felt. So, um, you know, we kind of talked you through the, what we sometimes consider the old way of doing QBRs, right? It's like, hey, you know, you prepare that stuff, you go through, you know, you create the 150 slides, you figure out what's wrong, you figure out the root cause, you, you know, do all of that work, and then you go into the room and uh, you try and solve those issues, right? Yeah. So, Olafur, what is wrong about this approach and why, why do we believe that QBR 2.0 is a better way of doing it? <laughs> yeah, and I think... Some of the things that are wrong with this format and something that I felt prey to also earlier in my career is that you become almost the Sunday, you know, what do you call it? Sunday commentator, kind of after the game is done, you sit there and you tell everybody what they did wrong and they should have done this, that, and the other thing. And it is very much a, let's poke at the corpse and uh, tell everyone what went wrong in the past. And that often then becomes more of a recrimination, basically, you know, who's at fault, why did it happen, who, who should we blame, and, you know. But actually, that's what is somewhat the, the banality of these uh, forums in some cases is that they very often lack uh, actionability. They are very much not forward-looking. They are only looking back 
at a point in time of a quarter where you're now usually two weeks into the new quarter and you're looking back at stuff that happened that was wrong. And the problem with that is that you basically rob the organization of taking action uh, when these problems are coming up. So, you know, you should be, you know, in the emergency room before this becomes a corpse and saying, hey, we have, you know, heart palpitation. Something is not, you know, there's early warning signs here that something is going wrong. How can you flag that and make the people responsible and that this area pertains to aware of that problem? How can you drill that into the organization so you might actually be able to correct uh, for that action and for that problem? Not that you wouldn't then still review it in a quarterly business review, but why should you be always looking, you know, 90 days, you know, behind yourself to tell you what you did wrong in the past? This is usually not how we as human beings want to operate. We want to figure out what's going wrong now and as early as I can so that we can, you know, ideally fix it. Because those lost opportunities that now, you know, from MQL to opportunity was 200 opportunities. If you had interjected way earlier, you could, of course, correct it and make sure that it was only 70 opportunities that weren't generated instead of the loss of 200. So yeah. we were we were working really hard for a long time to figure out how we could not have this corpse autopsy and the, you know, emergency room, you know, analogy going on. But I, I guess we I guess we felt out this in the end. Right. But so I think you had like one really good point here, which is, well, it doesn't that it doesn't quite replace QBRs, right? What it really does, it pulls the uh, the actions that you would be taking. Uh, it pulls them earlier into, hey, we can course correct and fix that, you know, at the at the point where it happens, where it kind of uh, you know derails. So um, what you do you then use those QBRs for? You should still look back. That's an important thing because I think when you're an organization at the revenue levels that we're talking about, you are usually hiring a lot. You're increasing budgets. You're creating new motions. The complexity of running a go-to-market team is extremely complicated and it's very high velocity. And if you don't ever give yourself the break to stop and look at, you know, what is the DNA of our organization? How do we make money? Are there things that are fundamentally not working as they should? because you're scaling something. And as you scale, things might start to operate worse and you should maybe pause on scaling some of those things. And if you don't have that forum to take a pause and say, hey, what is it that's happening here? That is still a very important thing, but it's more kind of taking the principles of a QBR and bringing it more into a, you know, immediate sort of, how do you work with it day to day, week by week? Yeah. But I think also what QBRs often suffer from is that they are looking at the world through a plan. My, possibly a plan or, so basically we thought that we were going to do these and these and these, many of these things. And that plan might be viable, it might not. You can also have in many, many cases, and I would say nine out of 10 times when I see QBRs, they're basically looking at if a graph is going up and to the right, are we improving on the number? And that only then is basically a way for you to reflect on, am I comparing myself against my past version of myself and am I getting better? And that is helpful. Obviously, we all want to, get, want to get better, but sometimes you also need to take a third layer, which is not just looking at the things that are in red or not moving up, but actually saying, where am I fundamentally not doing well? You, I might, you know, be moving a conversion rate from, you know, 9% to 11 or 12%, but if the industry benchmark for the outbound function on a conversion rate within your ACV level is 18%, you actually have a very big problem that you haven't identified in QPR because you didn't Think about where can I improve on stuff that I might not even see as a red line or an issue because we just had low expectations or we have performed poorly in the past. Hence, I won't actually address, you know, how do I go to the gym and get better? You know, it's not just about, you know, 
sitting on the operating table yep. and blah blah. It's because, also like because Olafone is everyone can see going to the gym regularly. Uh, but the <laughs> I think the the other thing is also um, I I also want to stress this, especially for the RevOps folks that are listening. It's um, if you use this to be forward looking, and I think you can do that in both scenarios. You just need to extend the time for the QBR that you have available, and that might be an issue with the with the audience that you have. Um, you know, this is a great way to uh, show value as RevOps, not just being the, uh-oh, you know, VP of sales, you did this thing wrong again. And I told you, and by the way, it's connected to CRM hygiene, uh, you know, kind of use that time to actually say, hey, wait a minute, we had this issue. I have an idea we could maybe solve that. Uh, should I run that project, right? So uh, be be even proactive then about it and, uh, and bring some of those potential actions to the table there. No, and I think this is what I referred to earlier in my career when I was just doing the normal QPRs. I was sitting there and telling everyone what they did wrong and all the different issues. And you came off as a sort of peanut gallery kind of telling everyone what they did wrong. But Peanut gallery. Yeah, because once you really change into this new way of doing QPRs and thinking about the world, you become a co-pilot to your CRO and to the revenue team in general. They start to feel as you are a trusted ally. You're not there coming in in front of the CEO and punking them in public on a number that they haven't heard was going wrong before. And now they're sitting there having to defend something and you're looking super smart for having found it. Ideally, you should be having those conversations with the CRO four or five times during the quarter so he feels he's trying to help me not yeah. look bad in a QPR, you know. Okay, so this was actually scoped to be 20 minutes. It's now almost 40 minutes. Uh, so this is this is Olaf and I live. That's what you get. Um, we, we have like more stuff prepared. We all of what I could keep going. We're just going to cut it here maybe for a second. Is there um, any any things from, from our audience that uh, might be interesting to dive into? We don't have anything from the chat just yet. But if anyone does have any questions that are on topic, we would love to take any right away. Uh, and of course, we will take some AMA stuff afterwards. But maybe we should stick to at least QBRs for now. But I do have a, a couple things I've been kind of thinking about. Is um, what about life? post QBR when it comes to actually making things we you, you talked a lot about making things actually uh, actionable and making sure that we're forward looking but what about the accountability portion of it is that even a revops role to make sure that you know each team is accountable or should i go to each team or i guess yeah. there's no one way to do it right no but it's uh, it's actually a great question because uh, i didn't actually mention this but it's a super important thing for me it's not just saying you know what's going wrong where's going wrong what can we do about it? And then creating an action from it. But it is exactly that, holding uh, the team and yourself accountable, saying we shouldn't be running every QBR as if it's the first time we ever did it. The next QBR should basically be prefaced with the agreed actions that we had in the last QBR were the following. The metrics that they were meant to improve or influence were the following. And then you're following up did we achieve through our actions to improve the things that were going wrong and that we identified that we could be stronger at? That is the baseline because then you get into this you know, iterative process where you're continually building on learnings and the things that didn't work. Now you have to create alternative actions to say, well, that problem didn't go away. It didn't stop being a problem. I don't need to go into the deck and reanalyze that. That's still the issue, right? But that, that sort of, uh, you know, that, that kind of reiteration that keeps everybody accountable because they all know that if we agree to do something, we're going to be monitored for it. And some of it might not be resolved by the next QBR, by the nature of the complexity of the project, but at least you're not tracking, are we improving it? And that I, that keeps everybody honest. I have a question. What are your favorite uh, do's and don'ts about QBRs? <laughs> yeah. 
don't, and I see this quite a lot, it's uh, blaming anyone. Uh, there's obviously somebody at fault. Uh, it might be a person, it might be a team, it might be a process, who, who knows? But if you walk into this process with a mindset of assigning blame, you have completely misunderstood the exercise. This exercise is for the commercial responsible team to come together and finding solutions to business issues. And the best QBR sessions, they are run in a way where the marketing leader feels fully enabled to comment on and make suggestions for things that are going wrong on the sales side. But at no point in time are we assigning blame or saying this was your fault or anything like that. Because if people feel like this is a session where they can get punked or you know, they're going to be you know, made responsible, it becomes a fear session and nobody operates well in fear and it's actually just a hindrance yeah. to you doing the right thing for the company. I mean, a similar on a similar vein, you also have uh, this ambush thing sometimes going on. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can fix it by sending the deck up front and blah, blah, blah. And maybe if you have something super spicy, maybe you kind of connect to the person before and you kind of just hash it out on this level. Um, but basically, you know, if you, and it's it's a trust thing, right? The, the, yeah. the, the second someone walks in and you as RevOps, you just, just sitting there waiting to kind of, you know, whack someone. Um, then bringing this in, this is like, you need to be super careful, right? Uh, and I had this, you know, <laughs> with Nickel, we were talking about the good old Falcon days and guess guess who was running the QBR back then. And uh, basically, uh, Mikkel told me that he was always kind of going to those meetings like, okay, what are they going to F me this time with, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's 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 not how it should be run in the end. <clears throat> okay. Um I have tons of more questions actually. But uh, Bart, do you have something? We have something that just came down in the chat. Uh actually Nico, I was wondering, do, do you want to actually just come on live and ask this yourself? If not, I can answer this for or I could ask this for you. Just want to reply to me in the chat here. Time's up. <laughs> All right. Well, this is actually one of the questions I, I, I also kind of had on my list too, but uh, we, we talk a lot about, so when when we align on actions in QBR, it's usually too late to review them for the next QBR because it's basically three months later. Shouldn't you monitor it uh, uh, maybe on a monthly basis? Oh, of course, not everything might you might be able to improve in the month, but at least you have some experiences with this. Yeah, and this is... Uh... The topic for today is QPRs, obviously, but typically I will always uh, run a monthly business review as well. It's a different deliverable. It is not following the same structure I just described because you're looking at more tactical uh, kind of decision-making that can happen. And in those sessions, you can now actually take the actions uh, coming out of a QPR and do the more short-term interval uh, checking in on those projects. So you would actually incorporate that into your MPRs if you were doing it like that. And uh, yes, 100%. I think another way also is like, the, so usually typically what comes out of those QBRs is a project, right? It's nothing that's like, okay, from tomorrow, we're going to do things differently. No, there's there's always some work connected to these things. And um, uh, we've seen this more and more. Uh, we also did this ourselves a lot is uh, run RevOps as a, as a scrum setup basically, right? And have similar stuff going on on marketing and sales is weird. I'm not sure who does that. CS is also a little bit weird. Um, but trying to, uh, you know, make that project then part of that scrum, right? So this, yeah. it's not like there magically are more resources available that you can just pull on because you're creating a QBR. Uh, that action that needs to be taken needs to be prioritized into your daily operational life. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes it might also just happen that compared to all the other stuff that you're supposed to do, yeah, that this is not deemed important enough, right? And I actually had a, a really cool conversation with, um, yeah, a call recorder, uh, a purple one. Um, and uh, what they actually, no, actually, that's not wrong. It, someone else, similar, much bigger size, actually. And what they were actually doing is they're having QBRs. Uh, and MERs and doing all of that, uh, all of that uh, issue finding, kind of going through the exact same structure like this year. But what they're doing on top, uh, they have a team that is called uh, Sales Programs, and that specific piece. It's basically a project management organization set up to a degree um, that only takes the pieces coming out of those review sessions and then runs with them, right? dedicated resources to do continuous improvement. Actually, pretty beautiful if you can afford that as an organization. But that's kind of the uh, the setup that I've seen that's extremely powerful. Yeah, we had a we had a similar setup in uh, in a previous company I worked for. Uh, it was called PMO, or Product Management Office. And they were just doing cross-functional uh, project management. They were not the one developing the ideas or what was going to be improved or how it was being improved, but they were actually running all the projects. But even in the lieu of that, and I think you can afford this with a very large organization, I still believe that RevOps should always have their own developed roadmap. I really hate it when they are kind of just, you know, juggling all the things that get thrown on them. It implies that their work is somewhat ad hoc, which it typically shouldn't be, right? So you should always have your roadmap. Then you have new, you know, backlog items coming on, but you need to benchmark it against all the different things you're doing as a RevOps team. And you can't have a recency bias just because it was mentioned in a, in a QPR what? last week that what? you all of a sudden all have to jump on it, right? What do you mean roadmap? So I have like a, you know, Salesforce needs to be rolled out and then it's my Keto and then we're going to buy the next tool. Isn't that, isn't that my, my RevOps roadmap? That's what you think RevOps does? Sure, but... That's, uh... that's, that's it. <laughs> um, okay, I think, uh, so I'm just looking at the time, maybe one more one more question or something like this um, and then we, then we wrap. Yeah, uh, we don't have anything from the chat at the moment, but I do have one of uh, my own that I wouldn't mind. Uh, maybe hearing some some of your experiences with this. Uh, so I think we talk a lot about how this cross-functionality is so important uh, within the role of RevOps and with, with what QBRs can kind of uh, do. But I was wondering if you guys have ever had experiences of there being arguments about who should be in the room at a QBR and who shouldn't. Yeah, I think we covered some of that a little bit earlier on in the session, I feel, right? But so my experience is that if you are talking about the right things, I think C-level will be very much want to be in there, right? You, it will start with your commercial leadership and sometimes it's either the CRO that oversees that. Very quickly though, you know, in, in other organizations or small organizations, it's the CEO who's kind of acting as the, the chief revenue in this case. What I've also seen a lot is, especially after the uh, second time or so, uh, especially then when this deck has been shared with some people, it's the CFO, the CEO knocking on the door and be like, uh, guys, can uh, can I be in there? Or can we do like an executive QBR session, you know, only for the three of us first and then we kind of, you know, do the next step, right? So I think this is usually a really nice um, interface to the C-suite and uh, in, in most organizations, depending on the size, obviously. Um, and it's, uh, it's really nice ways to also uh, elevate uh, revenue operations kind of Suddenly you're part of that conversation. Suddenly they have uh, difficult questions that they're struggling with. And suddenly someone has a very intelligent way to uh, answer those, right? Which is yeah. especially for the CFO. And I just want to re-emphasize that. CFOs largely still think 
And this is not their fault. This is to a large degree also how this has been you know, communicated and told to them. Uh, they largely think AE times quota you know, equals revenue, right? And then having not a conversation, you know, the 25,000th time about, oh, the forecast was low on the pipeline and all of that stuff, which is, this is, you know, and, you know, maybe I'm kind of talking a bit out of school, but when I hear people talk about those topics predominantly, it's one out of two things. It's either a massive enterprise shop with like sales cycles of nine to 18 months, or they're not doing something right. It's it's one of those two things, really. And uh, and uh, largely, it's not the enterprise guys, right? So uh, this is this is something where uh, if you then suddenly come in and it's like, hey, it's actually because of the opportunity production over there in the corner, and that has to do with the conversion rate because of this other thing, suddenly you give them like, okay, so instead of, you know, again, talking about the forecast and, you know, quality of the forecast, I can actually go to Joe, who sits in marketing, who's maybe responsible for this. It's like, yeah, you know, there are many ways to fix that revenue engine. Yeah, and I think, for every you know part of the reporting framework, you should always decide what is the purpose of that part of the framework and what is the audience and what is the delivery mechanism. Because it can be a dashboard, it can be a report, it can be a report with analyses. So for QBRs, if you really define this as a strategic meeting, there should be people in there who have the ability to influence strategy. And that again goes back to the VP or the C-level. It could be director depending on the size of the org. But that's then the audience. And you should always, as you define the purpose of the meeting, you should always say, what is each person's responsibility in that meeting? If you're not in that meeting to contribute or being able to take an action coming out of that meeting, you probably shouldn't be there. Rather record it and send it out to whoever needs to also listen to it. But this should be a forum where people participate. I think that's really, it shouldn't be an hour and a half of an analyst rattling off his insights. It is a forum of exploring, and finding solutions and actually getting work done. Yeah. It is not a communications meeting. And maybe to uh, wrap this up a little bit. Um, so number one, why do you do it? Well, it's continuous improvement period. That's that's how you get better over time. Number two, then the first steps are you have your cadence in place. QBR is just one step of that cadence. You figure out what is wrong. You figure out why it's wrong. You figure out if it's important. Um, and then you have a discussion around actions around it, right? You can flip this around and say QBI 2.0, more time sensitive, proactive, and so forth, and then have more forward looking pieces to it. Uh, I think one, you know, if you take anything away, uh, I think the one thing to take away is what, what Olofu said earlier is if this becomes a accountability pointing fingers, uh, blaming session, then you've totally missed the point. Yeah? And, and I think it's really difficult sometimes to not fall into that trap or you know, set it up like that. That takes some skill. Um, and I think uh, if you get all the other stuff wrong, getting that one right, that can that can bring bring home all the points, right? So really making sure that the 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 mindset and the the frame of mind is set correctly uh, for you to actually dig in, find out what's wrong, and and get consensus of how to kind of solve that. Okay, thank you very much. This was a nice fireside chat without the fireside, I guess. Um, uh, thanks for everyone uh, who is dialing in. We'll probably package this up as a uh, podcast or something like that for the folks in the community. Thank you, Bart, for organizing everything. Yeah. And uh, see you in two weeks. 